Guys, grab a Bible and join us tonight. We continue our study, making our way through the Gospel of Luke. We are in chapter 12 tonight. Most of the time we try to do chapters at a time, but Luke's longer, so we're doing half chapter this week. And so picking up where we left off last week and longing that God would speak to us. Really is an expectancy that we long that into this moment that God could take His Word. He could take His Word that He has given us specifically here in the Gospels that give us this incredible just centrality of Christ. It's all about Him, so longing that you would hear from Him. And so let's take just a moment and prepare our hearts for that. I'm going to lead, but I'm hoping you would pray and prepare your heart, that you would ask for God to speak to you, that you would ask that He would just, wherever He's trying to say to you, would be heard, so that when you're leaving tonight, you will be able to say, I know what He spoke to me. I know what that was. I know what I needed to hear. And so let's ask Him for that. Would you join me? Father, we come and do so just presenting ourselves to you. The reality is, Lord, we are just different people, in different spaces, going through different things. And yet you have a capacity to meet each and every single one of us right now, to take your truth and just apply it right where it's needed to be applied. God, would you help us to hear from you? By the power of your Spirit in this moment in time, would you help us to hear what you're saying to us? not just in a head knowledge way, but in an applicational, just touching our lives, changing us, transforming us from the inside out. Lord, the way that you do so beautifully, give us the ability to hear from you tonight. I ask for help in that right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Guys, I need to tell you, Jesus is coming back. I don't know if that excites you. It ought to. The Bible tells us we ought to be those who absolutely love his appearing. That we are those who with an eager anticipation find ourselves recognizing that we live in space and time when we have an expectancy biblically of Jesus returning. Now that's an exciting reality. And for many of you tonight, you have that and yet there is something needing to press into that. Well, quick FYI, we are here in the middle of chapter 12, and just to kind of connect the dots, if you were with us last time, Jesus had been giving a series of warnings and instructions to his followers, telling them how not to live their lives, and he'd really kind of camped near the end of it by telling us not to worry, not to, to spend our days worried about things, worried about money, worried about clothes, worried about, you know, all the things of this world that Jesus said, hey, that's the way the world does it. You know, but your heavenly father knows you. He knows what you need. He, he knows the very hairs on your head and he cares for you and he cares for you. And so he's called us to be able to take, not let those things be consuming to us, but instead to be freed to seek the most important things. In fact, you might just want to go back there in verse 31 from last week's reading, where Jesus simply said it this way, but seek the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added to you. You seek the kingdom of God. You seek what God is doing. You seek heaven. You seek all that he's doing, and he'll take care of all these kind of temporal things that really in the scheme of eternity are so small. In fact, in the midst of that, as needed, even in the next verse, Jesus says, do not fear, little flock, for it's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. That he, this is his desire to, to meet us and provide us and work that into our lives. So it is from that kind of perspective that we want to approach this this evening. 
where Jesus is telling us that there can be kind of a, a change of focus, that instead of being so consumed with this world and the needs we have in this world, to being genuinely focused on what's to come, genuinely focused on seeking the kingdom. And in so, he's going to give us some things that will help us apply that. Now, again, I just want to pause right here and say, I, I wonder where you are. I wonder if I asked you like right now, are you excited for Jesus to come back? And I think for many in the room, you'd say, well, yeah. You know, I, I think about this all the time. And that may genuinely be true. But I'm also going to challenge you to think this evening that if it's really true, what Jesus wants to talk to us about is how that should actually work its way into our lives. Like if we're really interested in Jesus coming back, it's not just a, well, that would be great, but what it would do for our lives. And that's where he speaks this into some very, very practical ways. So let's notice that. It begins there in verse 35, where Jesus says it this way. He says, let your waist be girded and your lamps burning. And you yourselves be like men who wait for their master when he will return from the wedding, that when he comes and knocks, they may open to him immediately. Blessed are those servants whom the master, when he comes, will find so watching. Assuredly, I say to you that he will gird himself and have them sit down to eat and will come and serve them. And if he should come in the second watch or come in the third watch and find them so, blessed are those servants." Pause there, and again, it locks into the, one of the realities that is a vital one, that there is a sense that we ought to, if we really think that Jesus is going to come back, it should create an anticipation, the kind of anticipation that we're expecting that and living in light of, that kind of like, and he gives us this analogy of servants, he says here, who are waiting for their master. Now, it's an interesting analogy, and we don't want to spend a whole lot of cultural space on it. But he pictures this like those who, like a, a master had gone off for a wedding, and whether it's his own or, or whether he's getting it, you know, in the midst of it, we don't know. But in that day, it's worth understanding that weddings worked much differently than they do now. I mean, it really was a very fluid thing, so that even the, the timing of the wedding and how long it would last was really not known. I mean, you just kind of went into it and, and, and kind of get there. Now, some of you are like, I've been to weddings like that. <laughs> it's like, you know, we got there, we were all ready, ready. But this was so different. It's cultural, and, and it literally could be, you know, you know, you could be waiting for hours. You could be, you know, not coming back till later in the night or early in the morning. And it just flowed in a very kind of a, a dynamic way. So it was always that way. So imagine this. The master goes off to the wedding, and all that's happening, but the servants are at home, and they're waiting. Maybe it's the master's wedding. It's not entirely clear in the analogy that Jesus gives, but it's entirely possible. And so it has the idea that he's going to be coming back and bringing even his bride with him. And it has the idea that the servants are just kind of waiting. They have no idea when that's going to happen. It might happen in an hour. It might happen in five hours. It might happen tomorrow. I mean, they just had this anticipation. But if you were a servant, you would just be ready for that. And he pictures this as servants who, you know, they're just there. He says, your, your waist is girded, your lamps are burning, I mean, the lights are going, you're ready, you're waiting for that moment when he's going to return and, and be a part of that, so that when he knocks, when he gets to the door, he says, and when he knocks, they may open to him, it says there in verse 36, immediately. It's this picture of just, I'm waiting. I mean, like, I'm almost 
on edge. I'm almost in this place of saying, okay, God, if you just, I mean, just boom, and, and I'm, I'm so excited, ready for that. And it has this anticipation that that's what he's telling us to do, that there ought to be a sense of not just like, well, I hope Jesus comes back, that'd be great, but like, Lord, I, I mean, sound the trumpet, knock on the door, and I'm, I'm, I'll, I'll, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of living in this readiness so that when you come, that I'm so excited to greet you, and I'm so excited for that. I'm kind of living in readiness for that. Again, it's hard, kind of hard to imagine, but if you have a good imagination, you can do it. Imagine just servants who would have been there in the house, and then there they would be. You know, maybe they take turns. Okay, it's like your turn to keep the lamp burning. I'm going to take a little. I mean, but we're just going to keep this ready. And like, it, it, man, when this happens, we're going to explode. I mean, when, when the master comes in, we're going to be so ready you know, for them. We're going to pull out the food. We're going to, whatever we need to do, we are like, ready, you know, and that's kind of how he says, that's how you should be for Jesus. Now, Jesus tells us something quite interesting. As he's giving us this, he says in verse 37, blessed are those servants whom the master, when he comes, will find so watching. Assuredly, I say to you, he will gird himself and have them sit down to eat and will come and serve them. Now, I don't want to press this too hard, but that sounds like a unique blessing. Like, not necessarily a blessing that's for every single Christian when Jesus comes back. But he says, when those servants who are ready for me, those servants who are expecting and they're living in this readiness, when fans are watching, he says, I say to you, when he, he, when he, he will gird himself and have them sit down and will come and serve them. Now, that might not immediately sound as shocking to you as it ought to, but it would have been for them because that's the exact opposite. I mean, if you can kind of picture it, it's like the servants are waiting to serve. The servants are waiting for the master to come, and they're like, okay, we're going to pull out the food, and we're going to, you know, set the table. And he says, if you have that expectation, the master's going to come and serve you. He's going to come, and, 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 and with, with an honor to this, and maybe kind of the marriage supper of the lamb, in this place where there, there's an honor of like, you, you lived for this might be this that Paul was speaking about, that he talked about a crown of life to all those who love his appearing. And there's just something beautiful in this, but there is, again, an invitation to say, hey, that's, that's how we're supposed to live. This expectation that he could come at any time. And then he gives us this idea, like even if it happens in the second or the third watch at night, and, and there's a, a sense of this being all night long, like, okay, so it doesn't happen in the early evening, it might happen like in the middle of the night, midnight, it might happen in the early hours of the morning, and it has this idea of servants who, even when it seems to be taking longer than they would have anticipated, they're like, ready, like two in the morning, I'm there, I'm like, I, you know, it's like, I'm ready, I mean, I'm so excited about that, and that's kind of what he's inviting us to have, is to have that kind of anticipation. Now, to that, Jesus gives a familiar invitation and instruction. <clears throat> he says in verse 39, but know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. This becomes a very familiar, but a good space again to remind us when Jesus is talking about this idea of being like these awaiting servants and this idea of being ready, is he's telling us very, very clearly, none of us know. None of us know. And nobody ever will know. If anybody tells you that they know when Jesus is coming back, they've gone outside of Scripture. 
They've gone beyond what Jesus said we would have. We have no idea when he's coming. But there ought to be a kind of sense of a readiness. You ought to be ready. You ought to be ready in the kind of way that even when it lasts long. Now, again, it's here we are living in 2021, and I just want you to understand, when Jesus first spoke this, they had no idea. I mean, they had no idea that, we would, that God's grace would extend this long into human history. But I'm glad it did, because it did for some of us. I mean, we wouldn't, I mean, for all of us, we wouldn't have, if he hadn't waited this long, we wouldn't be included in, in the number of those who were redeemed. But he's waited. But now he's calling us to be there, to live with this expectation where it's like, God, if it's tonight, I'm ready. If it's tonight, I'm ready. But you know what? If it's, you know, in two months, if it's in two years, if it's in 20 years, if it's, you know, past all that, I mean, I could, I'm, I'm, I'm in this for the long haul. My expectation, my readiness for Jesus to return isn't just this emotional hype. It's a, it's a, it's a ready, it's like, I know he's coming and I want to live that way. And that's where he's calling us to live. I want to tell you there's a healthy expectancy of Jesus' return that is like, okay, he might come now and I'm ready. But if he decides to wait, I'm ready. <laughs> I, I, I'm in this. I'm not, I'm not worried. I'm not, you know, if he doesn't do it by my timetable, I'm still in. And there's a healthy readiness that the Bible calls us to all the way through this where we would be like those who are looking for Jesus to come back. And we're patiently waiting, but we're anticipating it with an eagerness. Now, hands down, this is biblical. This is how God wants you to consider the coming of Christ. If you're not in this mode right now, if you've kind of either grown weary uh, of, you know, like I used to get excited about Jesus coming back, I don't do that any longer. Or you're kind of one of those people, it's like I'm not one of those prophecy people, <laughs> other people are like that, not so much me. Then I want to tell you there might be a, a place where you're off because there should be an expectancy that says I'm, I'm in. Jesus is coming back. I'm like, I'm ready for that. I mean, he knocks, and I'm, I'm not going to be, you know, scrambling, thinking I had no idea he might come. It's like, I was waiting for that. I was hoping for that. I was, I've been looking forward to this for so long, but I'm living in a readiness for that. So hands down, that's biblically where we're supposed to be, and Jesus is calling us to that. He's telling us that as we think about the kingdom of God, we should have a, a healthy, ready anticipation. But there's more. It's more than that, and that's important because I, I just I, I know I'm speaking to some right now. When you think about Jesus coming back, what I've just said is almost the extent of where you are. I mean, you, you know Jesus is coming back. You're ready for him to come back. You're excited, but it hasn't really gone past that in your life, and it should. Like what? Well, let's continue. So Jesus explains. In the midst of it, Peter asks a question, verse 41. Peter said to him, Lord, do you speak this parable only to us or to all people? Peter's like, is it, are you just talking to us as the disciples? Is this like for us here? Is it just for us as leaders? Or are you telling us that everybody needs to hear this? Now, Jesus doesn't answer that the way that we'd anticipate. Instead, he just continues telling a part of a story. And Jesus, and the Lord said to him in verse 42, who then is that faithful and wise steward? whom his master will make ruler over his household to give them their portion of food in due season. Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will make him ruler 
over all that he has. So in answer to this, Jesus just kind of continues the thought and says, okay, we're looking for those who are faithful and wise. Blessed are those that Jesus says are they're, they're faithful and wise stewards or servants, which all of us in that sense are. He calls us to that. And interesting enough, he puts it out in a very practical way. So you have this one who's faithful, like he's, he's a trustworthy servant. He's someone who's kind of wise in the way he, he looks at things. He says in verse 42, whom his master will make ruler over his household to give them their portion of food in due season. So you have a servant who's been entrusted with a responsibility to maybe provide food, to kind of take care of his part in the house, and they're faithfully doing that. They're faithfully providing what they've been asked to do at the right time in the right way, and that's the kind of thing he's talking about. He's picturing this as a faithful servant who gives, who takes what he's been kind of entrusted with from the Lord and rightly handles that. But we don't have time to say this in its entirety, but there's just not anybody that that doesn't apply to. There's not anybody here tonight that your life is a waste, that you're an extra on the set of Christianity. You have a, God has a plan for your life, a purpose that you're to be walking in in your life, and the idea is to say, okay, that's what we should be about. We want to be faithfully doing what he, what he has. And Jesus says, hey, those will be blessed. Blessed is the servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. He's going to make him ruler. Like that faithfulness will, will transition into blessing even eternity. It's a great picture. It's a great picture that begins to help us understand that. Now, we can get close to that, but maybe it would be helpful for us to continue the story and then apply it a little bit deeper. He says it this way, but, in verse 45, if that servant says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and be drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him at an hour that he is not aware, and he will cut him in two and appoint his portion with the unbelievers. So Jesus is calling us to be faithful and wise, and so in contrast to us, he gives us kind of an unfaithful and foolish. He says, okay, you have have this faithful and wise servant, but now in contrast to it, you could have a servant who's not faithful. And instead of being wise, they're foolish, How does that work into their lives? Well, he again pictures it in a very practical way. Because they're not expecting the master to come back. Because they're not anticipating his real return, he says they begin to abuse other people. They begin to beat male and female servants. They begin to be indulgent, like wasting their lives, drinking, getting drunk, and kind of just living this indulgent life. And he says, here's this picture that uh, this not living kind of creates this space of, of wasting their life, of living an abusive and indulgent life. And Jesus would again say, hey, that's an unfaithful servant. Now, what Jesus says about that, again, is, is, is really, really scary. Verse 46, the master of that servant will come on a day when he's not looking for him, at an hour when he is not aware, and will cut him in two and appoint him his portion with the unbelievers. So they're going to be caught unaware, and there's going to be a very severe judgment. Now, we're not going to spend a bunch of time even trying to pick through what that's saying. He's not saying that a true Christian would lose their salvation. It's not biblical. It's not there. It probably is true that there are some that aren't saved, and they're going to face this this kind of judgment of an unbeliever. For others, their portion is, is the same that they're going to get. What Paul would talk about in 1 Corinthians, that their life will be wasted. 
that their whole life will be burned up with wood, hay, and stubble, and they'll have nothing to stand before Jesus with. And Paul says, hey, they're going to make it. They're just going to make it through fire. They're going to make it like barely getting through, but it's a wasted life. And an unbeliever's life is a wasted life. It has no bearing on eternity. They have no inheritance to gain into it. And so he's saying, hey, that's what they're going to have. They're going to have the same kind of just, you know, hey, you, that's how you lived. You lived like, like someone who was incredibly lost. Now, as Jesus kind of lays this out to us, he does give us even one more possibility in the midst of that. He says in verse 47, he says, And the servant who knew his master's will and did not prepare him, himself or do according to his will shall be beaten with many stripes but he who did not know yet committed things deserving of stripes shall be beaten with few for to everyone whom much is given from him much will be required to him who has been you know, much has been committed of him they will ask the more so he kind of adds one more category so we have this category of faith but we have this category of unfaith but we could also add there's going to be a category of ignorant like some, they just didn't get it. I mean, they didn't understand it. I mean, they, they didn't really understand what was there. And because of that, they wasted their life in ways. He says, they're going to do the same thing. They're going to be deserving of stripes, much like the unfaithful is. They were abusive. They were indulgent. They weren't paying attention to other people. And yet he says that there's going to be a, a grace to this, that God's going to, you know, still judgment, but a little bit more lenient because it's going to be based on what they know. Now, that just draws to the point that Jesus is saying, hey, too much is given, much is required. That the better you understand this, the higher the just expectation is of that. Now, very carefully, I just want to be clear on this. I would say that's you, and I would say that's me. We live in a generation that, quite honestly, we have this given to us so freely. It's not always been that way in the history of the church. There's been spaces where people didn't have Bibles, didn't have whole Bibles. They didn't fully understand what was taking place. They didn't have the understanding of, of, of fully comprehending that. Believers who even today maybe become a believer in somewhere like North Korea or, you know, some communist country where they're absolutely locked down. You know, Jesus is saying, hey, they, they didn't have the exposure to the truth like they should have, and there's still going to be judgment in that, but it's going to be less. But here's where we are. We, we get, I mean, I hope for most of you, this is like, well, I knew Jesus is coming back. I, I really did. He says, well, then I have an expectation for what that should do for you. What's the expectation then? Well, as simply as I can say it, if you really believe that Jesus is coming back, it will become a motivation to not waste your life. If you really believe that Jesus could come back at any moment, it will motivate you to want to be faithful and not sinful, because you have an expectation. Like, you know, I, I, I could see Jesus tonight. <laughs> I mean, like, I could stand before him tonight. And, and I just want to tell you, if you really think that Jesus could come back tonight, and he might, then it ought to be the kind of place it's like, I don't want to get there. And the first thing I'm having to say is, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I know you've been telling me to do this for a while. I know what you've called me to be in my life. I know you've been asking me to be a person of prayer. I know you've been asking me to share the gospel, or I know I've been supposed to do this. I just, I didn't get around to it. I just, I wasted my life. I mean, that's not how you, I mean, if you really think Jesus is going to come back, then it becomes a very practical motivator. It becomes one of these things that's like, my expectation of Jesus coming back will affect actually what I'm doing. So I could just turn it around the other way. 
if you're not faithfully seeking to live for Jesus now, to do what he's calling you to do, then you really don't expect him to come back because you think you have more time. You think, well, you know, one of these days, like one of these days, I'm really gonna, you know, yeah, I'm going to try and I'm gonna start doing and I'm gonna start, you know, sharing the gospel or I'm gonna start praying and I'm gonna start doing those things, but I got time. And he says, if you begin to say in your heart, because that's what the evil servant said, right? It's not something he's necessarily saying out loud, but there in verse 45, he says, if that servant says in his heart, my master's delaying is coming. I got time. We're not in a hurry. We have plenty of time to, 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 to be about Jesus' things, you know. We, we, we have years or decades, but we might not. And the real understanding of Jesus coming back isn't just one of these escapism, like I can't wait to get out of here kind of things. If we really think Jesus is coming back, then we know we're going to stand before him. And and though there's going to be incredible grace and though there's going to be forgiveness, our sin isn't going to be accounted to us and we're going to enter into eternity, there's still a judgment for us. What Paul talks about in Corinthians, which is the Bema seat, where we're still going to give an account of our life. I mean, and we're still going to be able to have to say, look, what, what did I do with what you gave me to do? How did I handle what you entrusted to my life? And if you really get that Jesus is coming back, then that motivates you. It's like, okay, <laughs> I, I don't want, I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to be someone that kind of using Jesus in another parable, buries my talent, takes what he's given me and not, not there. It might, the, mo- the real understanding of Jesus coming back practically motivates, and it can, and it can. Now, again, maybe you're here tonight, and I want to say very graciously, you, you've been wasting parts of your life. Like, you just, you, you have this manana mentality of, you know, one of these days I'm going to get serious. Then I want to tell you, this can be something that can change you. If you really get in your heart and begin to say, it could be today. It could be today. It could be tomorrow. If you really get that, it will actually become very, very helpful in your life to say, I need to be, I I, I don't want to waste what he's given me. I want to be faithful. I want to be wise. I want to be someone who does that. And so Jesus begins to help us understand that this idea of expecting his return becomes incredibly practical. It becomes incredibly just helpful in the midst of that. That's good. And again, I want to tell you that's a big part of this evening, that God would meet us in that and call us to that. But then Jesus tells us more. As he's explaining this, he says it in verse 49. He says, I came to send a fire on the earth, and how I wish it was already kindled. But I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how distressed I am until it's accomplished. Do you suppose that I came to give peace on the earth? I tell you, not at all, but rather division. From now five in one house will be divided, three against two and two against three. Father will be divided against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. So we're still in the same theme. Jesus is talking about his return, but one of the things he does that I will just say it this way is there ought to be a certain amount of clarity, like this is going to be fire. I mean, this is going to be fire. I mean, when we think about Jesus coming back, Jesus says it this way. He says, there's a fire coming. I've come in to to set this, you know, to set a, a fire that's going to come. And in many ways, he's like, I wish it was already here. There's a sense of Maranatha. There's a sense of longing for Jesus' coming. 
But this longing for his coming isn't something that's divorced from the reality that's going to come with it, which is a worldwide judgment, a thing that's going to fall on this whole world, that, that, that it's important to make sure that when we think about this, we think about it this way. When Peter talks about it, he'll say it this way. In 2 Peter 3, it says, The day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with great noise, the elements will melt with fervent heat, and the earth and the works that in it they're going to be burned up. They're going to be burned up. That reality needs to be a part of how we see this. Because see, here's again part of the problem. Sometimes. Like not you guys. Like other churches. People have this expectancy of Jesus coming back. And it's kind of like just this escapism. It's like, man, we just want to get out of here. Like, we just want to go home. I mean, like, let's, you know, like, like, let's you know, pull the parachute. Let's go home. And, and there is almost this rose-colored, like, okay, it's just everything's beautiful and everything's good, but it's not. When Jesus comes back, that's the end. This world and everything in it's going to come to a stop. Every man, woman, and child is going to be judged. It's going to be heartbreakingly sad. Now, there in 2 Peter, when, when he's talking about it, he likens it to Noah's flood, and it's a really good analogy. He said that as the world was judged by, 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 by water in those days, now it's going to be judged by fire. And it's kind of a similar analogy, so just allow me to kind of give that for a moment. It's kind of a funny thing. Noah and Noah's Ark sometimes is almost this dreamy, you know, nursery, childlike, oh, beautiful, we get this ark, and these get these animals on the ark, and the like giraffes stick their heads up, and it's so cute, you know, and, and we kind of have this Noah and his ark, and we just think it's so beautiful, but if you really understand Noah's and his ark, Noah and all the animals go in there, and everything else dies. Every man, every woman, every child, every animal dies. Everything that man created, every business, every pursuit that they had is gone. It is washed away. And it's an amazing, beautiful picture of grace. It is. But if you, can, if you see that without the black backdrop, then you don't see it. You don't understand it. I mean, for us to long for Jesus to come back, and we are to long for it, even Jesus longs for it as he's explaining it. He says, you know, I, I came to send a fire, and I wish for it. I wish it was already kindled. I, I'm longing for what that's going to be, but it's not in this ambivalent, isn't this all beautiful kind of thing. It's like, man, it, there's, there's a bittersweetness here. There's something about understanding that Jesus coming back is going to be a destruction for everything that has happened. And, and that's a horrendous thought. And if you can only see it as a rose-colored, happy, isn't it great, Jesus come back and not see, it's going to be, I mean, it's beautiful and tragic at the same moment. Then there's a healthiness that needs to come into this. Now, when Jesus talks about it, he adds to it in verse 50, but I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how distressed I am until it's accomplished. Hey, it's a great kind of an analogy. He's certainly talking about the cross. He's certainly using this picture of that and he's using it as a, as a powerful thing that I just don't even have time to dive into it, but just enough to give it to you. Baptism. We understand baptism. That's kind of, you know, dunking somebody in the water. But Jesus isn't talking about water. He's talking about fire. That, that the judgment that's coming in the world, in many ways, Jesus, he, he, he takes that all upon himself for us. That the judgment that's going to burn the world by fire, it's laid upon him at the cross so that you and I aren't going to face that fire. 
that he becomes the ark, if you will, the Noah's ark that protects us, but he's like, it's, it's going to be a hard thing. But it is judgment. He sees the fire coming, and it's felt even in the cross. Well, that leads up to one more thing he gives in that. He says, did you suppose I came to give peace on the earth? I tell you, not at all, but rather division. That is, as you think about what this would be and, and what it looks like, he says, you know, as we're thinking about what this looks like, it's not this idea that life is going to get better and better and better. He says, that's not what I've come to do. He says, it's absolutely going to be dividing. In a house, and a family, it's going to be hard. So one more time, let's just make sure we're thinking this through for a moment. Jesus is coming back. That's beautiful. But you know what? It's going to get darker before the dawn. It's not this place is like, isn't this going to be great? Everything's going to go good. It's like, no, this, the, the world is, is moving in a way that's in rebellion against Jesus. And that division is only increasing so that we'd look at this and say, yeah, we have this expectation. I mean, it's one of those funny things that sometimes, again, we could be like, I'm still wanting Jesus to come back. And then we're like, but I'm so sad that the world's falling apart. It's like, well, what, that's kind of what it's said. It's supposed to, the world is going to fall apart. It's going to become more and more divisive. And I, I don't know about anybody else. I think our world is probably as divided and divisive as any time I can understand in history. And, and I, I find myself thinking, well, you know, this, is probably, this may be part of this very thing, but it's a reality. It's like, okay, I have an expectation that that's, that's part of this. And so again, this understanding of Jesus coming back isn't just this nursery rhyme, you know, Noah's Ark. It's like, man, it's, it's dark. It's going to be hard. It's going to be judgment, but I see it. I know what's coming. I mean, the Bible has not left me unaware. I shouldn't be the kind of person, like, I didn't think it was going to happen like that. It's like, I absolutely knew it was going to happen like that. And I have an, a, a healthy understanding of, of what's going to come. I have a very clear understanding that Jesus is telling me, hey, this is where we're going. And I see it that way. So there's something about that that Jesus is giving to us, that he's giving us this, this perspective that, once again, kind of helps us have a biblical view of the return of Christ. Now, again, maybe you are. Maybe I'm saying these things, and you're like, Jim, I'm there. These, what you're saying is, is how I'm seeking to live my life, and that might be true, but I know this. For some of you, I left you back on the first one. You're like, I just, I'm, I'm ready for Jesus to come back. That's where I am, but it's like it hasn't actually motivated your life, nor has it actually brought you sorrow that you look out there, and, and, and that kind of sorrow that leads to sharing the gospel, that kind of sorrow, it's like, Lord, it's just going to be so hard. I want to see these people saved, and I see what's coming. It ought to be something that, that is a, a healthy view of it. So to that, he adds more. As he's sharing this and tells us what that's going to look like, he says in verse 54, he also said to the multitudes, whenever you see a cloud rising out of the west, immediately you say a shower is coming. So it is. When you see a south wind blow, you say, it will be hot weather, and there is. Hypocrites, you can discern the face of the sky and the earth, but how is it you do not discern this time? So he's calling us to be aware that if we have a biblical view of this, we ought to be aware. And so he uses a very simple analogy. He says, if there's clouds in the west, you knew it would be rain. If, it, if there's a south wind blowing, it would be hot. Now, that's not something that's always universally true, so please don't. That's not, it was that way in Israel. That if you looked out there and, and just there out on the Mediterranean Sea and the clouds are coming, it's like it rain's coming. <laughs> it's like when clouds are, cloud bank builds up out there, we are getting rain. And when a south wind blows up from the, just the, the, the desert that is south of Israel, it's, 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 it's hot, it's heat wave is coming. So he says these are things that people could just be aware of. 
And so he says we're supposed to have that same kind of awareness, so we're supposed to be discerning of what's taking place. We ought to be able to be aware of that. The simple point is that many are more earthly aware than eternally aware, that they more can kind of feel the seasons of times. I mean, some of you, 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 you have it. You, you know, even can, you know, whether it be in your bones or whatever, it's like, man, I can tell it's going to rain, or I can just feel things coming, man, I just know it, I just know it's coming. I, can, I, I mean, you have this kind of anticipation into life, but that should translate into your expectation of the coming of Christ so that you're just paying attention. Now, again, that's not like we ever will ever know when he's coming back. We'll never know it but you should feel it. And when you watch things happening, they should excite you. I mean, whether you're looking at things that are happening around our world today, even like I talked about a moment ago, when Jesus talks about it being, you know, a divisive time, that it's going to divide homes, it's going to divide houses, it's going to divide families. Some of us would go, man, that's, that's us. That's, that's our world in ways that we've never even dreamed possible. And, you, and that should make us like, okay, <laughs> Lord, I'm looking up and just kind of like a little bit more excited when you're watching things that are happening within the world, whether things that are happening in Israel, whether, you know, watching some of the peace treaties that have been signed in the last months or, or watching some of the things that are in there, they should motivate us with an expectancy, but not a fear. Let me just quickly say this just very quickly for anybody's help I can. Much is happening in our world today, even with kind of the whole COVID thing that's happening in our world, the response to it, the vaccine, much is talked about in, in the way that people are going to do that and even, you know, tracking and what that looks like. And so I just want to say this as carefully, but very specifically, because I feel like I'm talking to somebody and I have no idea why I am, but I'm just going to say it. That's not the mark of the beast. It's not the mark of the beast if you take the virus. It's not the mark of the beast if they track you. The mark of the beast, which is spoken of in the book of Revelation, is not going to happen until we're out of here and Satan is on the scenes. Nevertheless, it is interesting watching the technology, watching some of the tracking software that's being built right now, for us to go, you know, it just wouldn't take much for the Satan to take that and control the world. Now, it doesn't mean that it is that now. We don't have to live in fear, you know, that, that, that somehow you have taken the mark of the beast. You cannot accidentally take the mark of the beast. Uh, you're not even going to be here, so just don't get afraid of that. But at the same point, it should excite you. It's like, man, do you see this? Do you see like all the pieces coming into play? It should be something that's there. Now, again, for some of you, you're like so down and you're like, let's do a prophecy update right now, Jim. Tell me more. I want to talk about others of you are like, oh, I just, I don't, I don't, I'm not motivated. I just, maybe I used to be that way. I'm telling you that Jesus is telling you to be that way. He says, why are you such a hypocrite that you can notice seasons in this world, but you can't notice the seasons of what's happening towards the end times? I mean, that, that's foolish. If you're, if you're not someone who is able to be kind of excited by that, then you're missing Jesus's view of that. And he's telling us, hey, we should be aware. We should be watching for this and things happening around us should motivate us and affect our lives, which draws us to one more thing. Verse 57, yes, and, and why even you yourselves, do you not judge what is right when you go to your adversary, to the magistrate, and make every effort along the way to settle with him, lest he drag you to the judge, and the judge deliver you to the officer, and the officer throw you into prison, I tell you that you shall not depart from there till you've paid the very last mite. So Jesus calls us to, to be settled. I'll say it that way. Have our, our accounts in order, or to be settled in this. And then again, he's, he just kind of talks about this. You ought to be able to understand what's right. 
I mean, if this kind of works into your life, you ought to be able to, to apply that. And so he gives this idea that if you're on your way to, to see a ruler or you're going to see a judge and there you're going to be held kind of accountable, but you should try to fix things before you get there. I mean, you should do everything you can because like it could get too late at that moment. And there's a lot of practical kind of pictures in that, but I think it's really just more clear for me just to talk about this in our lives. Here's the way this works. If you really believe that God's, that God's going to you know, bring us into the end times, if you really believe that Jesus is coming back, you know what it does? One of the things it does is make sure that you want to, it's like, I don't want to have things undealt with and then have to face Jesus. I don't want to, you know, again, to be that last moment and to find that, you know, there's something that I should have dealt with that I haven't dealt with. Now, that would be, you know, to be right with God you know, to kind of keep your account short, as it were, that kind of like, okay, you know, I don't want to be in this place, like, if I'm going to see God tonight, like, the first thing I want to hear or have to say is not, I'm so sorry. I, di- I didn't want you to find me still living like this. Um, I, didn't, I didn't mean that to happen. You know, the first, you know, you want to deal with that now so that when he comes back, that's not how you're found. It becomes a very practical motivator that would simply say, if I think that Jesus might come back tonight, God, I, just, I mean, is there, is, there, is, is, there, is there sin I need to turn away from? Is there something that I'm doing like right now that, you know, that I need to turn? Is there something I need to make right with God? Then, then that would motivate me to that. In the same way, we'd be right with people, that we'd seek to settle that with other people because the last thing we want to do is, is to have to give an account of that to Jesus. And again, Paul tells us we're going to have to give an account of our lives. So certainly if we still have got stuff unsettled with, like we haven't, you know, made right with somebody, like we sinned against them and we haven't gone and asked their forgiveness or, I mean, things like, would be like, I don't want to see him that way. I don't want to have to be there and be like, God, I just, wow. If I really believe this is going to happen, it's going to motivate me to live ready. It's going to motivate me in a very, very practical way so that I'm ready for Jesus to come back. And, and, And that kind of thing that would be there. Because I don't know how to say this differently than just to say it this way. If Jesus came back right now, I mean right now, the trumpet blew and you and I are standing before him in the next 30 seconds. Are you aware of some stuff right now that you're like, I wish I would have had five more minutes. I wish I would have had one more hour to do that which I know he told me to do. To ask that person for forgiveness to share the gospel with that person that I know he told me to do that with. I mean, I I just, you don't want it to be that way. In other words, if we really believe that, it actually becomes a very like, that's not what I want. I don't want to live my life that way. I'm gonna try to live ready for him to come back and that would practically influence the way I live my life. Now, just applying that even more, can I just say, if you're here this evening right now in this room or you're online right now and you don't know Jesus, then that becomes even this. Like, you have a debt to your account. Your sin has, 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 has ranked up a place for a debt that you can't pay. And if you believe even a little bit that Jesus could come back, then you'd want that paid for right now. I mean, the last thing you want to get there is to find out I didn't, I, I could have, didn't, shouldn't have. And, and so right now here, it actually becomes something that should motivate you to give your life to Jesus. I mean, if you're one of those people, it's like, well, you know, one of these days I'm going to get around to it. One of these days I'm going to give my life to Jesus but he could come back, and then it would be too late. I mean, you don't want to wait till that moment. You, there is this sense that it ought to become something that we do right now, that in that sense, you would be right with people, you'd be right with God, he'd get saved, and so 
longing for that. Because the simple deal is that Jesus tells us, hey, that's going to be dealt with. He says in verse 59, you're not going to depart from there until every last might is paid. I mean, he's faithful. He's going to deal with things. Again, every sin's going to be accountable for. Everything that's going to happen in that sense is going to be that way. And that should radically affect our lives. Now, again, I like this. And again, it kind of pulls back to partly what we're trying to say tonight. If we really think that Jesus is going to come back, it's not just this escapism like I'm out of here kind of thing. It actually becomes a very healthy motivator for Christian living. It becomes a very real place that we look at this that truly seeking the kingdom of God challenges us so that, yes, we're waiting. We're anticipating him coming back, but we're also like, okay, I want to be faithful. I want to be, I want to be found like saying, God, I did what you told me to do so that when you come back, I won't say, God, I'm sorry. I, I'm going to be someone who knows that fire is coming and aware of it, but at the same moment, I'm also going to be dealing with things. I'm going to keep short accounts with my sin. I'm going to seek to deal with things because I know he could come back. And that actually becomes something that changes the way I live my life. And one more time, I'm telling you, this is what Jesus is telling us about the way that we do this. And again, maybe you're there. Maybe you're like, that's me, Jim. I mean, I, I get that. It so motivates me that way. But I do know I'm talking to somebody tonight that you're still back on the first one. You're like, well, I, I want him to come back. <laughs> I really want him to come back. But it doesn't actually practically change the way I live my life. I mean, the way I'm going to live today or tomorrow, it, I'm not affected by it, you might say. And I'm telling you, if that's true, then that's, you don't have Jesus' perspective. That he's telling you, if you get it, you're going to be faithful. If you get it, you're going to be saying, God, I want to live ready for your coming, dealing with sin, dealing with things that are wrong. It becomes a very practical thing instead of just an escapism clause. It becomes something that affects the way I live my life, and he's calling us to that. Think about it this way. J.C. Ryle said, I, I can only say that I am more and more convinced as I grow older that to keep our eyes steadily fixed on the second coming of Christ is the great secret of Christian peace. And I just want to tell you, there's something profound about this. This amazing godly man, pastor, he says, the older I get, I can tell you, the key for me of both having peace in my life and, and peace is because I keep my eyes there. Jesus is coming back. He is coming back. And that radically affects the way that I live. So I'm inviting you to that this evening. I'm inviting you into a space that maybe you're there or maybe you could be moved there. So here's what we're going to do. We want to do this and we want to move toward this in a time that we're going to take communion this evening. It's the last Wednesday night of the month and it's a space that we seek to take communion. But I really want to have us approach it this way. I think about it when Jesus was sharing and giving us that which we call communion. He said it this way in Matthew 26. He says, I say to you, I will not drink from the fruit of the vine from now until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. So he gives us this thing of communion. He tells us, do this often in remembrance of him. So every time we take communion, we're remembering his cross, even what he talked about tonight in our text, like his baptism into the fire, his entering into the judgment for us. And that should be a part of tonight. But at the same moment, Jesus then looked at us and said, you know what? But I'm not going to take this with you till we take it together. And we take it together in the kingdom. He invites us to this perspective of looking through communion, looking through the cross and saying, heaven's coming, <laughs> Jesus is coming back, and, and there's going to be a day of celebration with him. There's going to be a day of celebrating and enjoying what he is and, and what he has. And so as we take communion tonight, I want you to go there. 
I want you to take some time and gaze through this and see that the cross brings us into hope of this, but it also gives us a certainty. Like he came the first time, he's coming again the second. And if that's really going to work into my life, I have a solid anticipation of that. So I just want to invite you to that. So here's how we do this on Wednesday nights. I think you guys know, but just again, a good reminder. I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask God just to bring us into this, and then Pastor Phil's going to begin leading us in songs. We're going to close with a couple songs tonight, and we're going to invite you whenever you're ready to take communion. We'll put a communion tray right up here in the front. We'll put a communion tray in the back in the aisles. Anywhere in those songs, this is between you and the Lord, take communion. Just get up, go up, take the cup, the two cups that are there, bread's in the bottom cup, juice, and take communion. We're not going to take it together tonight. This is for you to take, though, with us personally. You can take it right there. You can kneel. You can stand. You can sit. You can take it back to your chairs. But anywhere that it is, we just invite you to take that communion and celebrate both what Jesus did, but live in light of what's coming because of this, of taking this together with Jesus in the kingdom. An anticipation and expectation that if it's a healthy anticipation and expectation will motivate you for the way you're going to live your life tonight and tomorrow. It'll change the way that you do that. So I invite you to do that. Take communion. Whenever you're done taking communion, you can just keep worshiping with us. We just invite you only a couple songs we're going to close with, but in the midst of that, just longing that God would meet us in that reality. So that is our expectation. That is our longing of being able to enter into communion. Let's ask him for help right now. Father, we thank you tonight as we come into this space of just thinking through your, that, that your, the kingdom of God is coming, that Jesus, you're coming back. That's a, that's a solid reality. That's a true reality. It's a hope that's ours because, Jesus, you did die on the cross, because you were baptized into that fire for us. Help us to see that tonight, but then also through that to see this hope. And God, as we celebrate this hope, would you strengthen its practical applications in our life, motivating us to be faithful, motivating us to, to deal with things that need to be dealt with, motivating us, and yet with an honesty of everything that's there. God, would you work that in us? I ask for it in a very special way tonight, and just thank you so much that it's true. You are coming back, and it would be so delightful for me if you came back right now. If you give us more time, I'm, I'm good with that as well. But Lord, if you give us more time, then may we be rightly motivated by eternity. May eternity touch the way that we see, live, and operate in our lives because we live focused on what's coming. God, as we take this time of just remembering you, I pray that you draw us into this. I pray even now you'd help us to be made right with you. That you'd cleanse us, you'd wash us, you'd draw us. I do pray for any right now that are outside of a relationship with you, that you would draw them to you right now, that this, even this would become motivating to cause them to not wait another day, but they would give their lives to you. We pray for that right now as we ask for your work in this evening. In Jesus' name, amen.